<laughs> I went to a work pizza party on Tuesday. Right. And it was the first time... Oh, you did it. ...that my my colleagues have seen my full sleeve tattoo. Hey, pizza party. And what was fun was that I got I got a range of reactions, one of which was uh-huh. you know, as soon as said person saw it, it was eyes wide, it was oh that's amazing. Uh-huh. I've always wanted one myself. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, I I love it. I love it. And another reaction from someone else which was so is is that permanent? <laughs> <laughs> which told you all you need to know about how that what went down. Earth? There's no way there's somebody out there at like a working age who doesn't know tattoos are permanent. Maybe they thought it was just really impressive henna. Yeah, they, th- they thought, yeah, wow. They thought you got your Sharpie out and just like did a real good job just drew a big the night before. Steven Spielberg on my arm. <laughs> it does look really good. Oh, I'm, I'm so chuffed with it. I absolutely love it. The the only thing that's stopping me from getting more is that it's expensive and I should probably buy a house. It's a, yeah, so, it's, a, it's one of those things to space out <laughs> while whenever it is affordable, rather than just blast them all out at once. Right, right. But I I thought that was funny in that, and I, I was sharing this story. You'll remember James, our uncle Murdo, who when we were growing up was a man in his sorry, I think great uncle Murdo, I should say. Right. Who when I was growing up was in his eighties and fought in World War Two and was covered. In tattoos. Right. He was the only person I knew growing up who had tattoos. And, you know, this guy had no teeth. He was a bit scary. <laughs> a bit. And his tattoos, because they were 1940s era, were all military-based and were clearly faded in so badly they were basically blue. Yes. And I remember my mum saying to us, now, boys, <laughs> don't you go getting tattoos because they'll turn out like Uncle Murdo and you'll be 80 years old with tattoos. Oh, no. And you'll think... Why did I get them? <laughs> I remember yeah, all of us. I bet you regretted them all. I remember all of us being like, Uncle Murdo is just the, he's the coolest guy. He's got so many tattoos. He's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And here we are. There's this projecting of uh, regret. He, 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 did, he, he probably didn't regret a single one of them. Oh, exactly. And the thing is, and attitudes have changed. Yeah. But I thought the the different reactions I got and will continue to get are very interesting and very, very entertaining. Indeed. But ultimately, I love that I've got this and I will get more. Nice. That is, a, that is a source of pride. Well done. I think the next one will be a, a one for the for the brothers, <gasps> other than Mike, because Mike is not. Mike no. has told us he's not. He's not getting one. No. It's uh, going to be the album artwork of Hybrid Theory, the Linkin Park oh, album. Oh, okay, interesting call. Which is, uh, if you know the album, is a, is a soldier with some some wings and a big flag. Yeah. And the reason the reason for that, from the brothers' perspective, is that is the album. Which has given us the music taste we have. Yes. You know, listening to that when you were, in my case, nine or ten, it was the definitive album, which I still listen to. It's a classic. Yeah. And it's something that we, we all we all share. We all share that same uh, love or that starting it point. Formed you into the the hue that you are now. Exactly. Yeah. So so that's that's next on the list. And are you know, gonna, a, like, a few other things. Make the flag any specific flag. I mean, we, we we did try to sway Mike by saying, hey, we could give this character from this Linkin Park artwork the Caithness flag to the hold. Ca- the Caithness flag, that would be... Let, a- let's see if that sways him, but no, sadly, sadly, it's a blanket no. <laughs> I mean, this is someone who struggles to get his blood pressure taken, let alone oh, be tattooed yeah. by uh, no, yeah, an I artist can, with yeah. needles. I can empathise with it. 
Do you mean blood pressure taken or do, like blood's drawn? They're... No, no, I no, I mean blood pressure. You know that thing oh, where they wow. like like an armband they slide on you? Yeah, this this squeezy squeezy. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like blood pressure, he he nearly fainted by all accounts. Poor poor lad. I mean, and it's completely valid. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to mock it. That's a, that's a tough struggle. So uh, there there are some other tattoos that are people I know who have, for example. The, the name of their other half tattooed in giant letters over their bicep. Oof. Oof. Which is Oof. one I'm going to, I'll be honest. A classic, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I'm going to stay away from that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm open to ideas. So if anyone, you know, we could get a Seesaw Parade tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. Sure, that's a really good idea. You know, what, what we could do is I'll just get I'll just get the artwork and just take it to an artist and be like, yo, can you tattoo these cartoon figures sitting on a seesaw on my, on my, I was going to say my ass. <laughs> no, sure. That's it. You've committed now. Sorry, my leg. No, Let's get on my leg. On the ass. Which cheek are you going for? Or is it one one of us on each cheek? Uh, left. Have the, uh, oh, actually, no, that would, that would be good. And then you could have the seesaw, like, crossing the divide. Crossing the divide. Yeah, there is a there is a, definitely a uh, balance to that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, there, there's a really artistic way you could do that. That's a great shout. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe, maybe I will get that. You know, somewhere, somewhere down the line. Not down the line, on each side of the line. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, somewhere in the future where I'm just running out of real estate on my body, I'll yeah. think, you know what, it's time. It's time. It's time to get the left and right cheek done up. Yes. <laughs> and that will be a great moment. The thing is, I did have to clarify at the pizza party because of the concerned noises I was hearing from certain parties was, uh, sorry, certain people rather than other parties next door, <laughs> was uh, that I was only going to get tattoos in places I could cover it up. Oh, uh, yeah, no hands, no foreheads. Right. I would I would genuinely like some neck tattoos because I think if they're done well, they can look very nice. But also, right. it would then start to impact, for example, the work that I do. You'd have to wear turtlenecks. It's, yeah, essentially, I can't say that that's a strong look on me. No. Yet. Not yet. One day. When I was a kid, I wanted to get the the, the words "stay down" tattooed on my knuckles because I thought it would make me really tough. <laughs> <laughs> so that's also on the list. I just have to start bare knuckle fighting, and then I can get it. No, you just—it's got to be ironic. Like I don't know, I don't know what the irony would be, but it—it it, it can't be for being tough reasons. Maybe it's like. Maybe it's like your take on don't be too optimistic. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, it's not actually a physical instruction. Yeah, it's, it's more not like of a, a threat. It's like philosophical advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's more of a general life feeling. Okay, let's uh, let's start the show, shall we? It's Seesaw Parade episode. I think two five eight. I should really check that. Thereabouts, something like that. I'm Colin, and he's James. I am tattoo free. <laughs> He is, and I can confirm it is episode 258. Thank you once again for joining us and for continuing to listen to this show. You can get in touch at Seesaw Parade on Twitter or directly, as some of you have done. Uh, we have a, another one-sentence review of Loki, but that season has now ended, James, so... Indeed. Are, are, have you finished it? I finished it. You finished it. Yeah. So let's let's talk Loki later on. We will talk about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna save that uh, from Izzy for later. Also, Luke got in touch again. He said uh, James's comment of a car falling on one of the Immortals' heads from the Fast Nine franchise made me laugh out loud. Yes. I hope the director has heard it. Yes, it needed to happen. I think very shortly after that, I watched something, and then it it that actually did happen, and I felt. Oh really? I felt like 
Oh. <laughs> but it, I think, I don't remember. I, I'll have to try and think of what it was in. Because it, it wasn't as good as what it would have been if it was just like in a film that has been getting away with it for decades. The thing is, actually, after seeing Luke's comment, it did make me think that in the, the Fast 9 movie, if uh, those of you who are yet to see it want to turn off your ears for the next 10 seconds, there is a fake-out death of one of the key characters what? after about 10 minutes in which he's like, I'm alive, I'm alive, and he starts walking towards the camera, and then and then a truck falls, and it looks like he's been smooshed into a bazillion pieces, but of course, it's uh, an illusion, and in so fact, he's, the camera. He, he's, he's completely fine, he was standing a few feet behind Aha, it. So they got us. So you were close, they clearly were, were on the same lines as you, but rather than actually kill anybody off, Man. they just decided to, to do it for laughs. Well... It turns out I may have a career in the writing business for low quality but high high budget films. I mean, you could get into script writing. It's not too late to change your career. We've got some career changers right here who <laughs> decided, you know Indeed, what? Indeed, it happens. The, the thing I trained for for most of my life actually is is uh, f- not very <laughs> moral or ethical. And I want to do something else. So yeah. you could go to Los Angeles and start script writing. You get something picked up. Let me just like make my connects in the in the Hollywood land. It's going to be perfect. Uh, and also, we did have a, a request from a Tokyo podcast to see if we want to do a promo for our podcast to put in his uh, season two. So what? Do you want to do you want to record a promo right now? Sure, I got this. I got this. Okay, James, take it away. Have you ever wanted to listen to two people who know not who know? Yeah, I'm going to go again. Go, go again. Go on. Have you ever wanted to listen to two people who know not very much about a whole lot of stuff talk about all of those things that they don't know about for far too long per week? We've got the perfect place for you. Exactly here at Seesaw Parade. Please come and waste your time with us. He's James. I'm Colin. We'll see you there. Maybe pay us to do it. I don't know. <laughs> Nailed it. I'm just, I'm genuinely going to just crop that and send it. And that's our advert. It was perfect because you could tell I was winging it. I was fumbling it on my second attempt. And we just go for it anyway. Yeah. That's exactly what the podcast is like. Yes, absolutely. And so thank you once again for listening to Seats Operate, your new favourite podcast. <laughs> Scotland's least dull podcast, less popular than fascism, with the longest running Indeed. season one of any Scottish podcast in the history of audio. Yes. And we really do appreciate your time and for, for tuning in. James, we've got a lot I've to got a uh, discuss. I've got a follow-up question, Colin. Oh, you do? I've got a follow-up question. Did you paint your nails? I didn't. I didn't. I'm yet to. Just the tattoo. One brave thing at a time. I respect it. I, but I did mention I, that I painted my nails. And, uh-huh. and so that's, that's a start, is that I've mentioned it, rather than go full out and actually do it. So it begins... You know, give, give me a year, I will be front and centre of Glasgow Pride. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> with with my painted nails and uh, your <laughs> name tattooed on my arm. Or is it your name just like, as in like the listener? Your name? You can all insert yourself into this story. <laughs> so, it could be that, but in that case, I would just have to get like, what, six, maybe seven different tattoos? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. Okay, anyway, let's crack on, shall we? Let's talk about... Also, sorry, one. I've got one final comment, one final comment to make <laughs> before we begin and talk about uh, COVID and Boris and other terrible things. Yeah. I did have a, some in-person feedback from uh, Chris, oh. younger brother. Yes. Who said he's been listening to the show recently and he uh-huh. says that, that, my, that you and I are too self-deprecating about the quality of this show. Okay. Now, I had had several beers at this point, and so I don't really remember what the rest of the conversation was. <laughs> but 
his his point was you should be more right. positive about right. things. You should you should be more upbeat about this. Yes. What's your what's your view on that? I think we're the the greatest show that is recorded by us. And I would agree with that. Undeniably. So there's something to be proud of. But I I take your feedback on board. And you know what? I get it, yeah. uh, The one thing I would say is that the production quality of the show is high. So that's great. And, and hey, I'm, I'm proud of that. This is our second time we've had someone confirm that they laughed at one of our jokes out loud. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's twice as many as we used to know. Okay, well, let's see if we can get some more laughs and talk about COVID. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't funny. But no, you know what? You know what? The, the way you project yourself matters. And I'm sure you know this more than anybody because you, I'm sure, are teaching people this. Right. So we should be projecting ourselves in a more positive way. But I think that his other point was that, for example, when we talk about what we charge on our media training courses, like if you are, if you and five other friends wanted to be media trained by me, that would cost you three grand. Yeah. Now that is that is our prices, and uh, as we were discussing things, I was saying, you know, it's it's a lot of money just to be media trained by little old me, and just was saying, oh come on, you no, no, you're worth it. You've, exactly, you're L'Oreal. You're the media version. You're the Scottish media version of L'Oreal, and I thought, you know what? Hundred percent. You're right. I am worth three. In fact, let's not call it three. Let's make it four. Four grand. You're gonna make the way people present themselves silky smooth. And and I'm good at it. I'm very good at it. And we're good at the podcast. Yeah, we are. Yeah. There we go. Some positivity before we talk about how Britain is now the second highest country in the world for COVID cases. Hooray! Hooray. We're really good at COVID cases. Yes. So this is the news that Britain has reported more new COVID-19 cases than any other country in the world except for America. You're also very good at COVID. The United States off. Yes, sorry. The UK has been near or at the top of this global league for new infections for several days now, following a very steep rise in cases as predicted as this third wave sweeps the country. We've had everything from 40,000 to over 50,000 fresh daily cases every single day since last Friday. And uh, the 44,000 which were recorded on Wednesday, it was greater than essentially every other country in the world. Yes. Other than the States. Indeed. And that is, of course, beating the current biggest outbreaks in countries like Indonesia, India, Brazil, Russia and Spain, where vaccine levels are much lower as well. Yeah, and populations are ridiculously high. Indeed. And this comes, of course... As Freedom Day happened, July 19th has come and gone. (laughs) And so in England, social distancing is no longer a legal requirement and face mask wearing, after lots of U-turning, is also now a recommendation. Boris had decided that uh, personal choice actually was not going down very well. And so it's now a recommendation. Which is very different to a personal choice (laughs) because it's a different word. It is. It's got fewer letters, but it's saying the same thing. My question was, and I'm seeing this as um, today, more than 600,000 people have been told to isolate by the NHS COVID-19 app. Yeah. This is going in circles in terms of the rising number of cases. But now what's changed is that for the first time since March of last year, in England, we are now free of rules. Normal life, and I'm using my air quotes there, normal life Mm -hmm. has resumed if you uh, live south of the the wall, yeah. So what now? It's it's a strange one because I I just expect that we're gonna get or they're gonna get like a month of this 
and then some form of um, law will return to the to the suggestions that are currently in place. So, you think so? Yeah, especially considering that the the rises in cases and people who are vaccinated and stuff like that. Um, the fact that the the Delta variant is showing that it can be carried in vaccinated populations too. I, I feel like yep. the there's not this herd immunity around the corner. It is too far away and too many of the people who are getting the virus and are having to isolate or who are getting contacted and advised to isolate are in the working age group now rather than like just being a, a, um, of all um, populations. Businesses aren't being sustained through this. Um, if all of your staff are young and are therefore still in the vulnerable group and are still in the group that are most of the time getting told to isolate, you're not going to be able to carry out your business even if legally you're now allowed to. So I don't think this is the path forward. I do expect there will be some changes. I, I'm not sure we'll see any more lockdowns, though, is the big difference Right. So previous ones. So we had uh, Sajid Javid, who we'll talk about in just a second because he has COVID, yes. talk about this way out of COVID being irreversible. But now that's been Surprise. reined in a little bit because, as you say, there may well be some more bad news on the horizon. Yeah. I saw a story today which talked about the need for a booster, a mm-hmm. booster vaccination because the antibodies, as research has shown, are actually falling several weeks after or several months after the vaccination period is over. Yeah. So... Let's talk about uh, Mr. Javid, who confirmed on Sunday that he had COVID, mm-hmm. and that meant that the Prime Minister and the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, would have to self-isolate because they had been in close contact with him. Yeah, they got they got, they got, got pinged, which for me, when I read the headlines, it was like, oh, the app, yep. the app told them. But actually, they got phoned by the t- test and trace groups. They actually got right. called. It was more than just an app ping. Wow. Um, and I think they deliberately used those words when they were releasing the news to imply that it was the app. But I'm pretty sure, and please do correct us if we're wrong, we can delete this from the podcast <laughs> okay. in the future. I'm pretty sure it was a legit call and they were advised to right. uh, self-isolate. But the issue was that a statement was put out by 10 Downing Street which said, OK, <laughs> these two have been uh, pinged, whether that's true or not. <laughs> And instead of self-isolating, they're going to take part in a pilot yeah. program. They've been randomly selected to, to take part in a pilot. It was, it was written like they'd won a prize draw. Oh, they're going to be the guinea pigs. Oh, what are the chances? The, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor and also this guy Richard from West Sussex. They're all in the pilot program together. <laughs> but no, it was, it was written like, yes. okay, these two have now been a contact of someone who's a positive case. So we're going to put them in a pilot program. And do you know what that means? It means they don't need to self-isolate. And instead, they can just keep doing what they've been doing. They can work away and just have daily testing. Now, two minutes and 40... Sorry, not two minutes. Two hours and 42 minutes later... Two hours, yeah. It was uh, rode back on. (laughs) It was backtracked because the backlash was... Are you actually kidding me? This is so small-brained. How how do they think that they're going to get away with that? <laughs> Years of everybody being forced to isolate, and then they just decide, like, hey, we're going to just force ourselves into this trial. The trial is real. It's legitimate. There is this testing going on, but it is random, and that's why it's fair. Uh-huh. There's no way 
that anyone with a brain advised them that they would get away with doing this and that their public opinion would be fine. And yet they still try. But, but again, <laughs> again, as we'll talk about in a second with Boris and the leaked WhatsApp messages, I genuinely don't think that even if they had decided to enter themselves into this pilot program, that it really would have affected anything. It would have been a continuation of this prevalent idea that there's one rule for them and another rule for us. But long term, this does nothing. Because like everything else we've seen over the last 15 months, long term, the effect is negligible. It's it's exactly the same. That, yeah, it doesn't matter what they mess up, they still have the same um, popularity in the voter. It's ridiculous. Right, so so just on that, the note of self-isolating or or otherwise not... And the face masks, which I talked about already, what impact do you believe that's had on the people of the UK in terms of their attitude to self-isolating and face masks? Because we've seen today from businesses, uh, I listened to this on the radio earlier, some businesses who are telling staff, even if you get pinged, don't self-isolate. If you test test negative, just come back to work. Because we are seeing the start of uh, shortages again on shelves in supermarkets. Most of the supermarkets say this is an isolated or isolated incidence, and so not to panic buy. But of course, telling people do not panic buy simply reinforces the need to panic buy. So... What what do you make of all of these uh, well, these mixed yeah. messages? Well, it's just going to be the same as every other time that there's been mixed messages when masks were kicking off, and then every time one of the top leaders of the country didn't wear a mask, they would like have this press release where it's like, oh, it's okay to not wear a mask if you're buying a sandwich or something like that, and then people would care less or. Um, you must self-isolate and whatever, don't go on long trips. And then, hey, someone's going on a long trip. But it's okay if you're going on a long trip for like the sake of your family or something like that. And just the endless telling us what to do and then kind of bending the rules for themselves is, has been tracked with people not caring about things as much. And it's just going to happen again. Every time this happens, people care less and less about stuff and they learn the wrong lessons because generally human beings are a little bit lazy and just want to do whatever is the most normal feeling thing for them. And they'll follow the example of um, the people who are flaunting rules and then making the exceptions to the rules in post, whatever they need to say to get away with it. Um, and it's just so it's a copy paste. This has happened before in coronavirus. It will probably happen again, and the impact is going to be the same as it was previously. Let's talk about Dominic Cummings, who's been back in the headlines again this week. I'll just make this brief because we have spent an inordinate amount of time talking about this cretin. Yes, but he has been getting a lot of headlines over the last few months, as we've briefly mentioned before, mainly because he uh, has a blog. And he has lots of WhatsApp messages clearly been backing them up. Mm-hmm. And every so often he decides to to say something. Now, whilst some of what he is saying, like planning, he, he plans to oust Boris Johnson yeah. after their election win, <laughs> is is totally based on essentially believing what Dominic Cummings says, which yeah, at this point, yeah. I would say very few people do. However... <laughs> Trust me, I'm an expert. I did my own research. <laughs> However, when it comes to, oh, actually, I've got the receipts for this, yeah. it's a different story. Yes. So before we talk about the, the leaked WhatsApps from Boris this week, just just give me an insight, because I have a, a, my thoughts as well, on why particularly the BBC keep going back to Dominic Cummings for yet more nasty views on the Prime Minister. It's an odd one, Um I think there is this establishment is setting up 
Boris as the fall guy potential. Okay. I, I'm not sure if it's 100% there or not, but because we're they're running out of big names to blame everything on, I think there is this acceptance in general that they better start investing at least a little bit into the potential fallout of, yeah, Boris wasn't great all along. And then when Boris takes the fall, people examine the BBC instead of just seeing this endless forgiveness and endless, like... Um, babying of the PM. There's like these one or two articles that are like, yeah, but Dominic Cummings said he was bad and we reported it and therefore we're clearly unbiased and weren't just propping up the bad response from the government. Um, so I think they're just seeing that they need to invest a wee bit into that potential future. And it seems like an inevitable future because Boris is incompetent and Boris is a disgusting human being. So he can't last forever. So it makes sense that even the people in charge of the BBC and all of their Tory interests are kind of like wanting to report on something for, that is obviously going to report be reported on by all the other media who need to sell clicks. Uh, and I think to an extent that's true because those who are firm detractors of Boris are reveling in all this, whereas Tory people are a bit like, well, it's Dominic Cummings out for revenge. And I think part of that is true, but part of it is he, he's just telling it like it was. You know, Boris did say these things and yeah. Boris did do these things. And whilst I don't believe for a second the things that Dominic Cummings says, and no. I don't quite understand why we're still giving him coverage, despite the fact he's been out of a job for the best part of half a year, then, you know, there is some merit to what he's saying. So that takes me on to the, the leaked WhatsApp messages. Right. The most recent ones, which came out this week, was Boris saying that COVID was killing mainly people in their 80s, and uh, his words were, get COVID and live longer. Yeah, because it's above life expectancy, which is how life expectancy works. I'm sure Boris is the expert on that. Yeah, and then also he was calling into question the reality of the NHS being overwhelmed by cases. You didn't believe it. Instead, he was saying, we need, to, we need to look at this in another way, team, or we need to re-articulate our message. Mm. So another example of Boris saying one thing privately and doing another publicly. But ultimately, James, this will have very little effect. We had no. uh, Sir Keir Starmer demanding an apology at PMQs on Wednesday, and of course, none was forthcoming. No, it's, what they have on their hands is a very successful populist movement. So they've become icons and they've become figures rather than politicians and therefore they can get away with a lot more than uh, what anybody else could. Any of this would have stuck and sunk uh, many a politician's career but because they've, they've got themselves backed by hatred of a lot of stuff rather than a desire for improvement, they can get away with anything. People will excuse a whole lot to have the free pass of continuing to hate uh, the EU are continuing to hate immigrants or continuing to hate this or that and the next thing that they vote for the Tories to punish um, and right. th- we're just going to see this continue I, I do have I do have one final complaint okay. about the coronavirus situation at the moment uh, well I, amongst all the other many complaints we have Indeed. and it's about the coverage of the UK as an equal body and blah 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 if you harken back to like a month ago or whatever when Scotland was going into its peaks and its heights of like the world leading covid rates yep it was all very much reported as scotland is messing up real bad right now scotland's the worst it's all scotland Uh look how bad they are and if you go back further when the vaccination program started and scotland lagged behind a wee bit because they stuck to the plan instead of like pumping out a thousand extra ones per day um it was hey scotland suck they're so far behind in the vaccines compared to the rest of the uk where's the opposite reporting now scotland's ahead 
on first doses. It's it's the second best in terms of second doses in the UK. Yep. Uh, it is now England that is carrying us into the peaks of the of the uh, of infections EU wide. Even though their reporting is is less accurate than Scotland's for regions. And nothing. It's the UK that's at fault. It's all of us together that are at fault again now. It's almost as if, James, the mainstream media, and I hate that I'm using that terminology, yeah. is uh, is pro-union and also doesn't really want to see stories about Scotland doing well. Can't believe it. You're, you're spot on. It's similarly to the, to the joke that would go around, which was when Andy Murray won tennis competitions, he was British. Yeah. When he lost, he was Scottish. It's yeah. it is as as much as that was always aimed as a as a joke. There is some truth in that, so I agree. And also, it's the fact that bad news sells. You know, we don't really like to talk about Scotland actually doing well. No, they don't. Yeah, it's very very rare that that stu- that kind of stuff gets covered because ultimately it's less engaging than yeah. if Scotland's doing terribly. No, so I'm just highlighting it. Absolutely. Okay, let's let's talk another big story of the week before we move on. And it's the floods that we've seen in mainland Europe, particularly Germany and Belgium. Oh, yeah. As of Thursday, at least 188 people are now known to have died. Heavy rain is continuing uh, to wreak havoc, particularly now in southern Germany and in Austria. We've had emergency crews rescuing people from rooftops in Salzburg in Austria, uh, where floodwaters are now beginning to submerge streets. And as we saw in parts of Germany last week, there were people being rescued from you know helicopter well helicopters who were coming to essentially scoop people out of top floor windows yeah. because the the flooding was so bad we've had shots of mm-hmm. homes being washed away cars businesses destroyed really horrendous stuff there and we've had uh, this week the german chancellor angela merkel who has gone to visit uh, the scenes that we've seen uh, particularly in the, the north of the country and she's described the destruction as surreal. And I saw at least one interview with a neighbor who was describing all the things that used to be on this street. And as the video, as the TV camera panned round, there was just nothing. It was mud. It was debris. It's the kind of thing you almost saw in Indonesia back in 2006 uh, with the Boxing Day tsunami. So, James, this is, again, horrendous stuff. But it is par for the course now in terms of these worsening climate stories. I mean, whether it's flooding or if it's wildfires, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, or in uh, the ones in Australia, which I'm sure will be happening again very shortly. Yeah, extremes are the norm um, from now on. And it's going to be the next thing that gets talked about by all the right-wing politicians as something that we just need to learn to live with and learn to get along with. Um, as soon as COVID's passed, they'll be retargeting that and it's, it'll be received with the same lazy capitalistic measures as we've come to expect from everything. Um, but we need to be doing more to try and tame things and prepare for the worst and investing in all of these at-risk areas because we've learned that even in these areas where they can deal with seasonal flooding and they can deal with like somewhat extreme flooding, they can't deal with what's going to be happening now that used to be one in a thousand, but is now one in 10. Um, uh, same goes for fire, same goes for heat, same goes for all of the different extreme measures you're going to receive in every part of the world. There needs to be preparation for it because it is going to happen. People are going to die um, and we can minimize that by investing now and figuring out what areas are going to be um, prone to different things. I mean, we've seen extreme 
uh, flooding happened in China too. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was massive floods in um, in in urban areas that killed yep. loads of people in public transport and stuff like that. And we're just going to keep seeing these terrifying stories. And it's honestly scary because it could happen in almost anywhere. One of these things could be going on. Uh, in any city or in any town next week and we don't have a clue who and it's not their fault and there are people currently alive who are at fault and there are also people currently alive who can do a whole lot to help and aren't (laughs) so what are we going to do about it yeah well it reminded me again of what we saw a few weeks ago where the 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 ocean near mexico it may have been the gulf of mexico yeah yeah the ocean on fire on fire underwater and the main thing that came from that was good memes from people on the internet rather than you know leaders of nations saying this is completely unacceptable we need to do something about it but this is the world we live in yeah we're, we're gonna just have to learn to live with it well i live in a two i live in the second story of my flat so i'll all be fine <laughs> until like it turns out the flooding is causing a sinkhole under the apartment and the whole thing collapses because nobody's investigating these things uh. i'm genuinely slightly scared of sinkholes Right, James, I did mention Loki at the start, the Marvel TV show. So it's the this time of the podcast, your very well-made, very professional and an engaging podcast no, where we sounding, talk about... You're sounding too sarcastic there. <laughs> we talk about what we've been watching. Yeah, and we've got insightful comments about them because we are we do. Like, genuinely do care about these things. Yeah, so much so that I did actually write notes for this. But let's start with Izzy's uh, one-sentence review of episode six. And here it is. Decent, although I still find the animated clock character a bit bizarre. Loki's true intentions are uncertain and everything is left open at the end, which I hated, but definitely going to watch season two. Okay, very interesting. And there's some thoughts there that I also share. But uh, James, I'm going to ask you first, what did you think... Of this show, um, this show did its job uh, better than I would have expected it to when we heard about all the new Marvel shows that were coming out. This was this exceeded expectations. Interesting, and it had a really tough job of kind of introducing, and we know this because we've been told this, the next arc of the Marvel universe and the main like villain of that, which is Kang. Indeed, um, I think this show did a a pretty great job of. Just showing us the character, building up to it through a whole series of time um, and universe shenanigans, and then having it all pay off reasonably well. It was it was a bit cheap in a few instances. They introduced the dude eating an apple. I'm hoping it was self-aware right. um, rather than an actual attempt at making him have something to do. Um <laughs> And the payoff so, was so, like, Sorry, when you say self-aware, what do you mean? Well, everybody knows that eating an apple to show that somebody is an, like, an asshole is a cliche. And I think it can only be done in actual TV now if it's a joke that is like right, right. hinting at the fact that, yeah, he knows he's an asshole, he, therefore he's eating an apple. Like, Let me, let me uh, just for our listeners who are hearing about Loki for the first time, this is the TV show. It's on Disney Plus with Tom Hiddleston reprising his role as Loki from the uh, from all the Marvel movies, except now he's got his own TV show. It's six episodes long, and it's essentially starting the uh, or, or spinning off into this idea that there is a multiverse. So rather than yes. just everything happening in the same world, yes, so. actually, there's lots of different worlds going on. So it can, or rather, as you say there, James, it started to lay the groundwork and, and season, or rather episode six, the final one, 
was that final piece of the puzzle? It clicked a lot into place. So it clicked in the ending of Scarlet Witch. It clicked in what how we're going to justify the upcoming Spider-Man films and stuff like that. Yep, it's yep. also clicking into place the magical ability to retcon anything they want to and just say, no, that was a different timeline or no, that was the wrong right. character and here's the real one and all of these things. And it gives them ability to recast people really cheaply. Yep. It, it genuinely is a big play for them in terms of money and investment. It's just whether they can continue to pull it off um, will be interesting. But they have, I think, okay. like the casting they've done for Kang was great. He, he chewed the scenery really well, even if it was super cliche. Okay, well, let me just give you my thoughts because I would say I'm a little bit different to both you and Izzy, which is I was pretty disappointed and frustrated by the show yeah and particularly the finale so i do want to avoid the major spoilers but introducing the big baddie as you say kang of of who's been behind the entire plot of this whole show in a talk heavy sitting behind a desk final episode yes. is just bad structure in, in my view yes and, and it also no, absolutely it also felt to me as if everything we've been building up all season was brushed aside in order to hype up this new big bad guy not just for season two of loki but also for ant-man 3 because dear audience yes jonathan majors who is the uh, the phenomenal actor who plays uh, he who remains in loki or otherwise known as kang is also playing the main role in this next ant-man movie yeah so the fact that this entire season in the closing moments ends on a cliffhanger with a brand new multiverse setup with characters like uh, Owen Wilson's Mobius essentially being a brand new version instead of the one we've just spent six hours Reset with a wee bit, yeah. is a whole new level of frustrating. Yeah, I, I'm, I am curious to see if there are going to be like the two Mobiuses in the future, though. Right, well, not to mention the whole, you know, multiverse, infinite timelines is going to be confusing enough as it is, but to pull the rug in the final episode just to set up more stuff and effectively undoing what you've just seen just bugs me a lot. It really does, because, you know, what was the point, other than setting up what we're now heading into, what was the point of it? This is what I mean by, by decent. I think they did the setup part pretty decently, but they didn't do any payoff for the show as far as I can see. There was a wee bit of character development, but then they kind of like threw a wee, that away to save it for season two. Um, all the different Lokis didn't really come into play too well. I actually right. hate and detest that they introduced a super unique female Loki only to have it be like a semi semi standard love story right and not we're being a bit spoiler here but i think when you introduce something like a new female lead to make one of the main reasons they exist for the male lead uh, it become just like a weird love story is a bit of a disappointment for me um, if if female Lokis were were commonplace, I'd be okay with it. But they made a big deal out of her being unique, yep. and therefore it's like they kind of threw a wee bit of that uniqueness away. When it's just like, all right, and if you turn female, you become attractive to yourself. <laughs> yeah, and on that note, uh, Graham, who watched the series with me, his view on all of this was that the good guy Loki version that we got at the very end of the season is much less interesting and much less preferable to the mm-hmm. darker original Loki. Yeah. Because one is much more, you know, the the god of mischief rather than this anti-hero who's fallen in love with himself. Yeah. 
and and who for all intents and purposes is now a good guy he's the, he's a protagonist rather than an antagonist and yeah i don't th- yeah they they didn't keep the characters strong yeah and i feel like they lost those shades of of gray in his character he just very quickly morphed into the the good guy that we got in the closing moments of uh, of avengers yeah. infinity war and it's not even really good guy it's just kind of like nothing guy he just wants to do nothing like if he had a goal if he had a purpose maybe but he just wants to do nothing and that's right. like okay or you, like okay. do better please right well i was i was frustrated with the show particularly the ending i think if you'd if you'd asked me up to up to episode 5 episode 5 was excellent right i was enjoying it but it did feel again like a Doctor Who show. It, it was almost like Doctor Who. And I get that they're playing with yeah. time and multiverses and all sorts, but yeah, 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 it, yeah. just the vibe of you know, lots of talking and lots of oh, yeah, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly stuff. It just just didn't really do it for me. I think there's quite a lot of it that does reveal itself as a pandemic show, a show that was produced and all of that. Okay. Um, during pandemic, there was drawbacks to what they could actually manage to do. Um, and you are right that I think episode three reset my expectations. I went into this show ex- um, expecting nothing. In the first couple of episodes, I was like, okay, I'm I'm invested. And then the third episode was so trash. I think it was that one. Yeah, it was. Um, the one on the planet. It was such a bad episode. I was like, okay, I can expect nothing again. And therefore, my whole investment in this was just to see how they deal with setting up the next Marvel stuff. So I'm Okay. And I, I wouldn't recommend this show. It doesn't pass the boundary of... I would only recommend watching this show if you are already watching all of the Marvel things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it fair. It is not worth it as a standalone. It is not worth it as an interesting thing. It is well acted most of the time. They, most of the time? Um, yeah, most. There are instances where it does reach Doctor Who levels, um, but that's to be expected from TV productions. Uh, the music is good. The visual effects are, again, most of the time pretty good. Mostly good. There are very, very good moments, properly flawless moments where things go really well for a while in terms of the overall production, but it is, it is overall muddy. I think Mobius might be one of the best things to come out of it because it's just great seeing Owen Wilson being Owen Wilson. That is true. Okay, James, uh, before I talk about the Cannes Film Festival and the official trailer for Dune, or Dune... <laughs> Which makes it sound much more Scottish than it is. Okay. Tell me about Fear Street, because I know you watched that as well. Which one? All of it. Oh, you watched, watched all three? I watched all three Fear Streets. Um, wow. Okay, just for context, this is the uh, the trilogy of movies yes. which Netflix released, mm-hmm. which are set in different eras or different years, but they're all largely about the same thing. Oh, yeah, they and they're all released on the, a week apart. Yeah. So what, what did you think of the, first of all, the concept, but then also the execution? Concept still I think is worth it investing in. I still think it's worth doing because it's really cool to see this kind of a thing drop for film and not just TV. I like this idea of a much grander story being explored over a short period of time where you can choose to watch it all at once or over however many weeks. Um, and execution was better than I expected. It Okay. You have to have watched a trailer of it to really set your expectations because you immediately upon watching a trailer realize that it is just cheap slasher. They aren't aiming high with this thing. They aren't aiming to do any grand political messaging or anything like that. And yet they still overachieve. They get a wee bit of representation in there. They get some good twists of characters that maybe would have been tropes, but they've twisted it just enough 
that the characters are interesting and lovable and all of these things. The uh, the motivations of different characters are somewhat interesting. There's a little bit of depth, but not a lot. But overall, you watch the trailer and you're like, okay, this looks like a really bad slasher film that will occasionally have a jump scare. You watch the thing and it's like, yeah, it's a pretty bad slasher film that occasionally has a jump scare, but pretty well executed. And therefore, it's pretty great. So if you want to spend three films worth of time with your brain completely switched off, just enjoying watching uh, like a classic feeling slasher with very little sensible story, um, but overall a plot that does at the end of the day make sense and mostly pay off, go for it. The aesthetic is good. Most of the things are well executed. There are some horrible cliches some proper cheesy moments but if you've got your brain switched off those are just kind of like light entertaining because you because you don't care so yeah brain off for these but if you like this style of thing i would recommend it it's not solid i'm seeing some people giving this rave reviews like it's the greatest horror films to come out for the last however long and no it is like (laughs) bad stranger things but it's so bad it's good um and the acting the acting is all right sorry just on that note just on that note because i do wonder about this it does actually have some stranger things cast in it it does has this this trilogy or is this trilogy stranger thingsified and by that i mean filtered to a a very specific audience and toned down a little bit more than perhaps it otherwise would have been there are like there is the same level of like all of a sudden a little bit of body horror as you get in Stranger Things. There is those gory moments and graphic moments. Uh, there's a, there's more than there's more sex than there is in Stranger Things. They did try to to, to appeal to a slightly older older audience, uh, maybe, but in the cheap way that uh, you sometimes see in these things. Um, okay, but yeah, overall is 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 pretty toned down. It's, a, it's you're dealing with like witches and devilry and all these things, so that. I'm sure that many a household would not find it acceptable, um, but if you can just see these things as representations of a of a genre, then you'll you'll enjoy it. Um, again, it's very it's very popcorn. It's just there for entertainment. It's not there for depth. Um, and I do think they're going to get more out of it because I think it's been very well received and very popular because they've hit this this really good point of just pure entertainment. Um, with a little bit of humor, some scares, some decent characters, and most of the rest of them are forgettable enough that you don't mind. Um, and therefore, they'll get fourth film. Maybe they'll get another trilogy. Maybe they'll get some spin-off shows because they've set up a, a whole bunch of good ideas. And they are pulling from an established and okay. relatively beloved franchise or, um, or IP. So they don't have to be too creative with that either. Right, let's move on. Let's talk about the Cannes Film Festival, which is the first one in a post-pandemic world to uh, to take place uh, at full scale. So the main headline is that the winner of the top prize was Titan, which was uh, which is a French film which is full of sex and violence, according to this uh, report. Okay. And the director, Julie Ducourneau, is only the second woman ever to win the Palme d'Or, which is the the, the top prize. Mm-hmm. So the, the the film festival itself, the awards ceremony was marred somewhat because the director, <laughs> Spike Lee, told everybody the winner at the very start. So because, of course, this is being held in, in France, there was a slight translation issue. So the French host asked Spike Lee, who yeah. is the, the president of uh, this uh, Cannes jury uh, for this year, to tell the audience... The first prize. Now, 
she meant yes tell us the first prize of the evening what's the first genre but he took that as oh Tell tell them who won the first, like the major thing, who won top prize. Oh, it was yeah, Titan. Who won first? And as soon as he said it, it was a no, 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 no. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Oh. It wasn't even that. It was just this quiet awkwardness, and he said it so casually. So casually. He didn't even put any effort in. I couldn't even hear half of him, and he's just like, and then everyone's like, wait, what did he actually say? He, he just yeah. Did he? Did he? I think he did. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that was. I mean, it was awkward, but these uh, ceremonies also uh, and often have these sort of slip-ups, so they make, them, make, they make them slightly entertaining. If it wasn't for the slip-up, I wouldn't have seen a video of the event. I would have just read the winners and gone, all right, and then moved on in my life. But because they made this mistake, everybody's seen it. It was what made it interesting. Award shows are trash and boring. This made it interesting. What's interesting to me is if you look at the history of the Palme d'Or, which is the top prize at Cannes, in 2019 it was won by Parasite, which later went on to win Best Picture yeah. at the, the Oscars. So Titan may have a, a future in terms of award ceremonies. We also had some wins for the musical Annette, which features Adam Driver. I'm very interested to, to see that. Right. He's uh, best known for his stuff in Star Wars. Uh, and also a host of other of other winners from across the world. Uh, Leos Carax winning Best Director and uh, a few other big prizes. Caleb Landry-Jones, a really interesting one here. He is formerly of X-Men. He was, uh, I believe he played, he played the role of Banshee in X-Men oh, Origins what? in First Class. He won Best Actor wow. for his role in Nitram, which is around uh, centers around the nineteen ninety six mass shooting in Australia. So that's that's wild. That is career progression for you. That is quite the step up, indeed. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk the trailer for June. Yes, or Dune, June to make sure that those of you who are looking it up spell it correctly. Spell it with a D. <laughs> a big D. Okay, here's the trailer. Yes. We are House Atreides. There is no call. We do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts! I know you. There's only a way of hanging my mind. You need to face your fears. James, we we saw a teaser for this movie a few months ago. Yep. Whilst it was very much up in the air if this film was going to be released at all, uh-huh. and the director Denis Villeneuve was very very upset that it may actually be released straight to streaming. However, yep. I would say that based on the current trajectory, Dune will be in cinemas. And having seen this trailer, I would like to see it on the oh. big screen because my goodness, yeah, this is quite the trailer. Man, it's got me. It's got me figuring out if I'm comfy going to the big screens or not. I, I, <laughs> I am so tempted by this one. It's about the only film that's maybe even consider it. Okay, why? It just looks so big. It looks like it needs to be big to be to be like as overwhelming as it could be. The grand scale of like the planetary stuff that's ongoing the set pieces are huge like the cut to the baron harkonnen's room or baron harkonnen or whatever you want to call him uh-huh. that just that just looked so good and there's just all of this detail while it all feels so huge and grand as well that i i do want to be overwhelmed by it i don't want to watch it on my a twelve-year-old, slightly large television screen. I, I, I would like to see this as it is meant to be appreciated, and the sound design, I'm sure, is going to be spectacular as well. 
And I also really like this story. And therefore, I want the full experience. And I, and I really hope it is good because I am nervous. So to me, there is a couple of ways this movie could go. And I agree. The trailer looked massive. Everything in this, I was thinking, yes. wow, that's, that's amazing. It looks amazing. And quite different to what was in my head when I was reading the book. Okay. So I'm, I appreciate that. And also it's the fact that Denis Villeneuve, as a director, has done some of my favourite films in recent years. So he has oh, yeah. absolutely got this in safe hands. And also the cast mm-hmm. is staggering you look at the the list of people who are in this movie it's a who's who of hollywood so that's great and they and they did a good job of showing that in the trailer because because the, they're gonna have to rely on the cheap elements of marketing to get people to watch this this is not a very marketable ip so focusing on the actors and the who's gonna fall in love with who and the look at the cool warrior dude and then look at this cool warrior dude that should work so to me where the film risks falling apart is in its scale or its scope yes of the story it's attempting to tell because we've seen before these beautifully shot well acted well directed cgi perfect movies fall apart because they are far too bloated they're attempting to do too mm-hmm. much in too long a time now blade runner 2049 which very few people actually saw is a good example of a movie which had the visual it had it ticked every single box but it didn't do very well at the box office because it was so long and it was so stuffed full of stuff that whilst it all worked the audience just wasn't there for it so my fear is that yeah the same fate befalls Dune and this yeah. movie which could well start as a, we've talked about in the past a massive franchise and, and you know further further movies may well end up in the Jupiter ascending category Oof, no. of, of a, a, a movie which costs an absolute fortune yeah. looks amazing but ultimately no, it, it, sputters out it can't be as bad as that it might be a, a Blade Runner situation where you've got this incredible piece of art that's been put together that then just kind of gets a little bit of recognition. And if it goes down that line, it probably won't get the sequel it needs because this film is not going to do the whole first book. It's going to do half the book. There's going to be a cutoff point. The, the plan is to have two. So I'm really hoping that they get enough of a, a income to, to justify the second one. Um, and it, I, I genuinely think this... I, I, I've had a long time to think about this having read the book um, and um, it's been so long in production. The way the book is written is a wee bit piecemeal. It is a wee bit scattered, little small portions of story from different perspectives, which I think lends itself to film because it is not a book that relies on every single detail of the grand story. It The story just needs to be told in little pieces to, to pull together later on. So I think it is probably got more potential than some other books that are just incredibly grand and incredibly detailed and need every single thing to be represented to be understood the overall story of this isn't that complicated it's the messaging that you can get into if you read into the story that becomes a little more detailed and heavy but that can be that can be for the more avid viewers Right, James, a few more stories before we wrap up this episode of another excellent edition of Seesaw Parade. I'm sure you would agree. Oh, man, it's top quality. Yeah, let's talk about the Olympics. So Tokyo 2020 begins in a little over 24 hours with the opening ceremony. But the news today is that the show's director has been sacked 
because of footage from the 90s. So Kentaro Kobayashi was a former comedian who is now the uh, the director of the opening ceremony. Ah. And in this video, he appears to be making jokes about the Holocaust. Oh. So the, uh, the Olympic chief Saiko Hashimoto said the video was ridiculing the painful facts of history. Oh. And as we've talked about on the show before, this is just the latest in a string of dismissals and scandals to hit the games. Uh, we've had a composer for the team creating the ceremony music in the last week leaving uh, because it emerged he had bullied classmates with disabilities in school. In March, we had uh, the creative chief Hiroshi Sasaki who quit after he suggested a plus-size comedi- uh, comedian could be an Olympic Ooh, at yeah, the uh, opening ceremony. And in February, we had uh, Yoshiro Mori, who was forced to step down as the head of the organising committee after he made inappropriate comments about women. So he said, for example, that uh, women talk too much and meetings with female board directors would take a lot of time. Yep. So this is just the latest yep. of uh, of just bad news stories. At this point, James, I just think they should chuck the entire thing. I know the Japanese people have been saying this for a long time, but it's beyond salvaging. Like this, these games, I know they've started. No, it's not going to count. But it's just like, oh, come on. Can we just get this over with? Yeah, these games are never going to be remembered as like a massive event or a big defining moment for things in general, but more of just a, a little bit of a rebellion maybe and... It is such a shame to see that just more evidence that every single country out there has its toxic cultures and those toxic cultures are often male led. Um, and it's 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 right. It's something that cannot have been tackled until now and we have to tackle it now. And it's good to see that they are quitting because I'm sure there are many countries out there where people would be well received for saying such things. And having it revealed, but there is a sense of I, pride there, I guess, where they don't want that to be the thing they are seen as. Right. I, I do have a question, though. Right. Because, and we, we've, we've touched on this before, about historic things coming back to bite people. Yes. Whether it's a, a social media post from 10 years earlier, when they're a teenager, as we saw with a, an England cricketer a few weeks ago, or a video from, in this case, 24 years ago. Yeah. So, attitudes, of course, have moved on. We're much more aware of these things in society than we perhaps used to be. So what's the line in terms of yeah. comedy, for example? Because to me, and this is some, this is not a viewpoint I used to have, either everything is 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 allowable or nothing is. You know, there, there's no arbiter who says, no, you can't make jokes about uh, famines, but you can make jokes about Madeleine McCann. Right. You know, who's who's there to say, oh, you can make jokes about that, but oh, no, but you can't, you can't do that. You know, that's, that's offensive. I think... You know, uh, that to me is a difficult question. I think we've kind of talked about this a wee bit before. My, my opinion on this is about who the joke is punching at. Right, right. And if the joke is if the if the joke is is belittling or bringing down a protected group, or bringing down and uh, mocking victims, it's probably something that shouldn't be said. Okay. It might be funny, but that might be like the shock kind of funny. It might it might make people laugh out of like sheer whatever overwhelming whatever. Um, but that doesn't mean it's an okay thing to do. I don't think jokes are jokes if they if they are siding with the oppressor. Right. Um I I I think that that isn't humor at that point that is just being a part of the power balance that is evil. Um 
Whereas you can make fun of famines if you like, you can make it. Let's let's say let's take a specific example. Let's look at like the famines in India that happened under the UK Empire. Yep. We cannot mock the victims that all those people that died unnecessarily in India because of that famine, but we can mock the people who caused it and make jokes of them and their selfishness and how evil they were, and that can be uh, embodying them. Um, to show how evil and ridiculous it is to to have those beliefs, and that can be to um, make a make a mockery of them as people. You can you can do jokes from lots of perspectives and still not be targeting the victims. Um, so I think when you look at this, and especially something like uh, someone from Japan making fun of Holocaust victims at any point cannot be acceptable especially considering which side of the war they fought on and this guy might not have fought in the war he might have come from a family who abstained from from fighting in the war he might have he might be coming from generations of people who have lived in peace in japan but there are all of these overarching structures that define who is the victim and who is the oppressor or all of these different words and you've got to punch the oppressor <laughs> punch oppressors <laughs> verbally or you know on the nose if you want yeah, to punch an achi punch an achi uh, P- punch an achi yeah. even better it is a hundred percent okay to completely mock and belittle oppressors and that can be nazis white supremacists uh perpetrators of war crimes it can be people who cause famines it can be people who cause disasters it can be anything there is nothing wrong you cannot cross the line when you're mocking them well it's a nice segue to talk about jeff bezos because the billionaire has made a short journey to space uh sadly he's come back in the first crude flight of his rocket ship New Shepard. So Mr. Bezos was accompanied by his brother as well as uh, Wally Funk, who is an 82-year-old space pioneer uh, from back in the day, and also an 18-year-old student called Oliver. Mm-hmm. Um, I've no idea how he got it, but maybe that will maybe that will be uh, well, revealed. Well, they're the token normies to make the whole thing seem nice and friendly. Uh, they travelled in a capsule with uh, apparently the biggest windows flown in space. Now, there's an accolade for you, offering stunning views of the Earth. And when the the capsule... Microsoft getting some free advertising. (laughs) Indeed. And uh, when the capsule touched back down after this 10-minute, 10-second flight, Jeff Bezos exclaimed, (laughs) best day ever. For him, yeah. There's a quote for the for the annals of history. Well, that's what that's his only goal is to go down in history. But he he, he, he's kind of going down in history as the second rich, annoying dude to... (laughs) To go to space, right? So this is the this is the story, which is actually he was about a week behind Richard Branson, yeah, who who also was equally cringy. He went to space in his Virgin plane or his Virgin rocket, space plane or something like that, yeah, some something which he went up to space, he floated about, and then he came back down again. So the the two of them, as you say, yeah, have been involved in this billionaire space race, which is just essentially a. Uh, an ego-measuring contest between Mr. Bezos and uh, Mr. Branson in this billionaire space race, uh, criticised by many for essentially running these joyrides for rich people. And how about the money is spent instead on, you know, giving your employees a pay rise or fighting climate change? But apparently Mr. Bezos says that this is the right thing to do because we need to take heavy industry, uh, all polluting industry actually, and move it into space. Right. That's what he said. 
Right. So again, he's it's just talking gestures and talking phrases to make himself believe that what he's doing is okay, or to make us believe that he believes it. I I don't think he does believe it. I think he knows how evil he is. I think he doesn't care how evil he is. Uh, anybody who has this kind of money, um, by riding on the backs of underpaid people in great number and disadvantaged people worldwide, are evil, and therefore we need to mock them. Um, so the mockery that has been going in their direction since uh, I'm somewhat proud of, I don't think it's going to have any effect because these people are very much beyond the reach of anybody in our position. Including this um, podcast. And it will continue, including this podcast, and it will continue. Uh, they will keep taking advantage of all of their employees. They will keep taking advantage of the power structures of the world. They will keep taking advantage of inequality and imbalance to give themselves some new target for whatever record they want to beat. Um, and it is harmful. They might have the occasional silver lining to all of this harm. Like, yes, maybe we can bring some pollution out of Earth, which I'm not seeing the balance of right there quite yet, but we might be able to do it in some way. Like, there are these token individuals who get the free flight to space to enjoy it as well, and that's nice. But that's all it is. It is nice. Nobody is bettered by a free flight to space. Not really. It's just something to cover up how self-centered and harmful their lives are okay talking off bad people one penultimate story to talk about and it's back to boris johnson he's been accused of cronyism this week after he appointed one of his pals from uni Hmm. onto a committee advising him on ethical standards which the irony in this is amazing so this is a former lawyer ewan ferguson who's going to begin a five-year stint on the Committee on Standards in Public Life as of uh, next month. Part-time Turns job. out he was a member of Oxford University's Bullingdon Club at the same time as Boris. So, number 10, of course, defending this. They say the role was filled by open and fair competition. I don't believe that for a second. No, it's hard to believe it. Um, I, I, I think if it was the case, they would be able to prove it and they'd be happy to prove it because it is... As we say, the ethics committee is a committee directly related to this kind of accusation. I think it is the perfect time to actually prove any of your statements about fairness and equality and appointing somebody to a part-time but probably lucrative career. But they won't prove it. And they've been asked to and they still won't. And they've just got somebody else who's a close friend of theirs that um, they're going to pretend that they aren't friends with who will give them the benefit of the doubt around every single issue while they try and dismantle this and that element of our democracy and they are continuing to dismantle uh, everything about democracy here in the UK Um, the other worrying report was the fact that they're making it uh, criminal to embarrass the government as a journalist or something like that yep Um, that is a key element of of democracy we must be able to report on the failings of government even if it's like supposed to be a little bit secret it's their fault and they need to be held accountable so there's all of these elements And it's going to continue. I don't know what they're going to try and take away from us next, but if they can stack the committees in their favour and stack the laws in their favour, they could go very far with uh, making us a little bit more of an authoritarian country, which I'm pretty sure they would love. Okay, one last story. Let's go to Peru and talk about the fact that after four weeks of counting, the rural teacher turned political novice Pedro Castillo is now... The Peruvian president. Hey, it uh, was the longest, the, the the longest electoral count in the country's history, and uh, this guy, who yeah, first time being a politician, turns out he won by forty four thousand votes, 
beating the right-wing politician Kaiko Fujimori. Tiny and uh, this is this is really interesting, James, in that the yeah. catchphrase that Castillo was popular uh, popularizing was "No more poor in a rich country," and, th- and this is the fact uh, reflecting yes. that the Peruvian economy, which has been crippled by COVID, is actually the world's second largest producer of copper. Yeah, they have their resources, and it's just yeah. lining the pockets of the uppers as usual. Okay, so give me your thoughts on this. You were the one who brought this uh, story to my attention. Right. Well, it's just, it's very interesting to see a complete novice not only surprise people by becoming one of the options on the ballot, but by actually winning the ballot. It is uh, shocking to see how close an election is. Um, One of the big surprises for me is seeing his left-leaning economic policies not being an immediate reason to be ousted by the US or the EU, who we've had several countries from the EU and the US themselves saying that the uh, election process there is, yep. is, is fair and democratic. So it's looking like this is going to be an accepted leader, even though they've got um, policies per, that are like pro um, bringing um, things into the public ownership and stuff like that. However, I am seeing a lot of misrepresentation of the dude as well. Left-leaning for us might mean economically and socially, but in this instance, in Peru, because it's a very different world to what we're used to, it just means economically. Um, He's got very much anti-LGBTQ beliefs. He's he's anti a whole bunch of stuff that we'd be pushing for in more left-leaning countries over here. But it is still a victory to see anybody not right-wing have power for a little while to try and stabilize a country because it is always the right wingers who make countries go into greater debt, True. greater insecurity. They always raise crime. It is just far too common. It's not like 100% of the time, but it is just the majority. Yeah, well, that is a, a silver lining, as you say. You know, they can't all be perfect, but and certainly some of those policies are concerning. Yeah, there is a win here. Yeah. But I'm sure the right-winger had worse policies socially as well, so silver lining. Okay, well, we all have to cling on to those in these difficult times. Well, anyway, thank you one and all for listening to this episode of Seesaw Parade. Yes. And uh, you can get in touch with the show, seesawparade at gmail.com, if you have any thoughts on anything you've heard, anything you disagree with or want to uh, factually correct. And also you can let us know if you have finished anything this week, a movie, a TV show, a nice meal, you read a nice book, or even a terrible book, you can review it and send it to us, let us know, and uh, we'll play your review or we'll read it out on the show. But again, thank you for joining us. And James, thank you for your time. Thank you, Colin. You carry this place. Uh, It's a a two-handed effort, two-handed job. Yeah, both of your hands carry this place. (laughs) Right. Pleasure as always. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye-bye.